Welcome to the podcast on ideas. I'm Rob Lyons and I'm joined by my colleagues Claire Fox and David Bowden to discuss the EU referendum results and the fallout from it. As I'm sure you all know, last Thursday the UK voted to leave the European Union by 52% to 48%. The turnout was large by recent standards, over 72%, and since then it would seem British politics and even polite discussion has gone into meltdown. The Prime Minister has announced he will step down in a couple of months' time. The Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, is facing mutiny in his own shadow cabinet, and the financial markets are heading south. We're here on Monday afternoon as the Commons debates the referendum result, so whatever we say now may be out of date by the time you hear this. So fast are things moving. So fast that I've only just been able to break Claire and David away from their smartphones as they try to keep up with events. So let's go back a few days, the quiet, innocent days of Friday morning. What was your reaction to the referendum result itself? Well, just to say that I, I watched the whole thing throughout the night but when the initial thing that people will remember was that Nigel Farage conceded they'd lost at one point, and I kind of put the kettle on and thought, oh, I'm going to have to watch this unravel. And then when the Sunderland vote came in, like everyone else, the huge, enormous gain for Brexit, you realise that something might be happening. And the reason I mention that is not to rerun the whole evening, because we've all been through it, but was because I think... Everybody from all sides were taken by surprise and even the people in the Leave camp were not expecting to win. I think that there was a muted, chilling atmosphere post the tragic murder of the MP Joe Cox that just meant that it was very difficult to entirely get a sense of the momentum in relation to one side or another. Having there been a kind of surge for Brexit the week before, then it suddenly felt that you weren't sure. But... Ultimately, it was amazing and fantastic, in fact, that ordinary people, 17.5 million, defied every single pressure that was thrown at them from the whole of the establishment to say, no, we'll make our own minds up. And I was excited, and I still am, despite the fact that things have become complicated subsequently. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a bit of a shock for me, actually, which is... I think kind of telling over the Joe Cox stuff because actually you know, a week before I'd been sort of looking at the polls and going actually this is probably going to happen and it looks like it and then in a way I was surprised that it took place and obviously it was a kind of a, it was you know, a sort of amazing moment in a sort of sense of you were amazed you know you have the Prime Minister resigning live on television visibly shocked there was suddenly a big moment's happened and obviously for somebody of my generation um, this is probably the first big major political event that has occurred that hasn't been a a terrorist attack, really. They had the sort of same kind of sort of tenor of massive ramifications, but actually had been the result of a of a referendum. And then what was quite fascinating over the last few days is that it has felt like a terrorist attack. And that's been the kind of reactions of people, that this has been some kind of terrorist atrocity committed on the United Kingdom. And so that has sort of led to outbreaks of anger from a lot of people. There have been attempts to roll it back and say that, no, we shouldn't you know, follow through with this referendum. People coming out and saying, look, we can always vote again, that Europe loves you know, rejecting kind of popular votes on certain things, sort of saying that without a kind of shred of irony. There was a kind of real sense of panic. And, you know, there was actually, on a personal level, it's a, you know unusual to have been on the winning side. I can certainly say in London that it doesn't feel very much like you're on the winning side. You know, you felt like you'd back some kind of um, atrocity that happened. And, you know, that, some of that's fair enough, is that people are personally affected by this. This is a big political issue with huge ramifications. Um, so, therefore, you know, there have been a lot of 
heated arguments, and there has been a kind of intemperate nature of this kind of response because people were in in shock, and that's yeah they're sort of struggling to to deal with that. On the other hand, it means that I've been debating this issue an awful lot with people um, constantly, you know, for the last few days and you know obviously one of the main points people keep on saying is how is this going to lead to more democracy and it's like actually for the first time all of these people particularly including huge chunks of people who sort of said you know I voted for Remain but you know I wouldn't campaign for Remain because I didn't really you know feel that strongly enough about the issue or the ability to defend it and I thought we would win the vote anyway and are now outraged that something has personally kind of affected them that they weren't willing to go out and kind of take any kind of political ownership and responsibility for um, has kind of really proven to them now that actually this is sort of one of the reasons why sort of politics does matter in a certain way so there's something positive about that even though at the moment um, it feels as if there's a very anti-political mood. I, I was was delighted and like both of you I was a little bit surprised you know I went to the went to the pub on Thursday evening thinking you know I'm going to drown my sorrows that people have, will have decided to go for the status quo option and, and vote to remain uh, so I was very very pleased and I'm pleased because we're going to be in a situation where UK laws are going to be made in the UK. But even more pleased for the reasons that you've just said, Dave, is just that for people to sort of assert themselves in the face of absolute unity on the part of every institution you can possibly think of, almost every celebrity you can think of, to say, no we want this to leave the European Union, uh, I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's just a real sense that there was still some like democratic fight left in our country. And it's very interesting looking at uh, some of the things that have come out since then in terms of polls and other data about who voted and what the, the, their vote meant. I mean, we'll go on to talk about who voted in, in, in a moment, but what people voted for it's very striking there's two separate sets of data now suggesting that the main reason people voted to leave was to allow the UK to make its own laws so all this talk about how it was uh, driven by bigotry or anti-immigrant feeling or petty mindedness it just seems to me to be completely uh, untrue Certainly immigration was an issue in the campaign, but it was by no means the decisive issue in encouraging people to leave. And I think we should take real heart from that. And I think that that suggests as there is a very significant constituency of people who would still favour free movement in whatever deal that comes forward um, eventually. What's interesting, and it relates, Dave, to what you said about the debates you've been having with people about what is democracy, I think what's interesting about it is that in the build-up to the referendum, many of the people who were more inclined to vote remain. When I tried to talk about the importance of democracy, were, were evasive about what popular sovereignty was and wanted to talk about economic consequences and so on. And so in many ways, those people on the Remain side hadn't really thought through the democracy question. It was quite interesting and have only really been confronted with it now. And you realise that democracy has been reduced in many people's eyes, I mean, you know, not just in relation to this referendum, as just a kind of paper exercise. And this is what real democracy feels like. People make a decision that has a change. It affects change. You know, that's what it's meant to feel like. It's meant to feel as though things are thrown up in the air. The fact that it hasn't for a while is partly because it's become a fairly moribund 
uh, matter and that you know that we all feel in general elections that our democratic vote somehow doesn't have as much count and that somehow for all sorts of different reasons that democracy has got a deficit at its heart um, and this is what democracy really is like it's a little bit scary it's a bit edgy things change the status quo is overturned and um, I, I you know if you think of kind of analogies I mean I one of the big uh, political events that I was involved in was the miners strike and the miners lost but let me tell you if the miners had won it would have disrupted the markets you know things would have happened right I mean all of the big things that you kind of would have wanted to have occurred over many years in terms of like uh, steps forward in terms of rights are disruptive and that's what democracy should be but the second thing is is that I your point about all of the poll or the information seemed to indicate that certainly uh, democratic rights uh, making decisions taking control which was the official slogan was what was the main reason for the Brexit vote which of course you know lots of remainers are just saying oh no that's not true that's not true. I don't believe that because they were really just racist about it and they just and so on and so forth. But what I think is fascinating is when you actually uh, listen to some pretty shoddy, uh, but nonetheless, uh, um, you know, you can get something out of the media reports. Time and time again, when people are inter- interviewed on Vox Pop or when they're interviewed for anything, many of the people who voted Brexit say, I just wanted to be able to kickstart Britain you know we wanted some control over it that's the kind of thing they say and it's just interesting that the people who are objecting to it have fled to the most anti-democratic uh, instincts to basically say well this is what happens if you ask people in a plebiscite what they want they become like this can't we overturn the democratic will is there I mean you know Alistair Campbell as we speak keeps posting messages about how he's getting legal advice and so no one's to worry you know, there's how can we stop Article 50 being enacted? Surely we can get in there. There's these uh, change.org petitions as though it's some kind of a student union kind of campaign to kind of no platform someone you don't like. Or maybe we can just do it again and, and kind of tell those people they're wrong. All of those are anti-democratic strands. But this is a, a moment that's actually pregnant with possibility for us to talk to each other rather than the remain or the Brexit camp, about what democracy really means and to actually turn it into a meaningful democratic moment. Yeah, I mean, the reaction to it is actually genuinely scary. I mean, obviously, the implications of leaving um, the European Union are quite scary because it, I mean, partly there is that kind of straight away, this kind of argument about the the lies told by the Leave campaign. I mean, there were many grotesque inaccuracies in both the Leave campaign and the Remain campaign. Um, But, you know, the Leave campaign weren't, running for government actually what's coming out of the kind of polling data you know is that you actually look at it most people actually who voted had made their minds up on the whole before the campaigns even started and that tallies with you know, the reality of anyone who has been paying attention to politics which is over the last particularly last decade particularly since financial crisis but a lot longer than that growing disenchantment with the european union a kind of grow, you know growing anxiety about proven anti-democratic trends within it crises within the kind of eurozone that people have actually looked at this situation and gone at the very you know at the very least i don't like this institution i don't necessarily know what the better answer is to it but people have quite clearly rejected it you know this is what the conservative party were pretty much um elected on was actually offering a promise on the, a referendum on the european union they and they did that against really their own will because it was the only way for them to get enough seats and to stop losing voters to UKIP who were arguing for a referendum. So the idea that this is 
uh, undemocratic to have offered the referendum in the first place is wrong. And now, actually, quite clearly, there has been a small but decisive uh, vote by a huge turnout of people who have taken part in this um, referendum. So you have to say, actually, the kind of will of the people is is clear in this way. And it's like, no, you don't get the chance to, to vote again. It's like you've actually, you're an adult and you have to make that decision. The nastiness that has been kind of rained down on people is frightening. And it is actually kind of worrying because it's people who really should know a bit better um, than, the, you know, than there's actually the dangers of stoking up uh, openly, trying to, you know, overturn the, a popular vote, which is made on the basis of the fact that actually, you know, the way you vote will inform what will happen. If people keep on saying, oh, it's just an advisory referendum. Um, no, they said very clearly in advance, both sides, this is, you know, you can't turn back from this. You enact Article 50. You know, I mean, at the moment, it might be reasonable, actually, that, you know, the kind of Remainers are jumping up and down and saying, oh, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, Cameron hasn't enacted it straight away, so he's, maybe he won't do it, and maybe we'll just never enact it, as if that would be a, a good thing to do. Um, and people were kind of, there's a real danger of actually kind of stoking up the kind of, you know, anti-immigration arguments here, actually. That's the thing. Again, you look at it, and it's not straightforward. People have voted to reject the European Union. They have anxieties over, you know, actually a kind of big political experiment called free movement within borders. And, you know, it's quite, but, you know, it's not straightforward what people are doing. And telling thing is people keep on talking about the old voters, right? And, you know, people who are old in this election have been told, how dare they um, go against the wills of younger people when they will be dead soon. They're probably old and racist anyway, and they don't. They should not have a vote. And they have, you know, the Financial Times came out with this editorial about the the futures of the young people that had been kind of taken away. You know, ultimately, was it thirty percent of eighteen to thirties voted in this thing, which is apparently so important um, to their future didn't that's not even like the 30 you know it's not just that you know 30 percent of all young people voted for remain it's just they were slightly more well represented within it mm. um so there is already this kind of very conservative attitude that sort of essentially kind of really patronizes young people says actually they don't have a go and defend their future uh, but it is okay for them to go around and essentially want to take votes off older members of society that is a kind of even if you're kind of shocked and upset actually there are certain lines that um, people are kind of crossing quite flagrantly uh, which I think is a real uh, issue uh, on this topic I think it's entirely appropriate that people are scared because despite what I've said you know change is scary and undoubtedly the economy is in flux and I'm not entirely convinced it's going to be an easy ride for anyone I still think that a lot of this is just excuse making, by the way, because I do think that there are firms now that say, well, we won't maybe make that investment now because we'll wait a bit. We won't employ people. But I just would like to remind people the British economy was not robust and dynamic prior to this vote. There was a certain degree of stagnation. But I think that that is not helped by the uncertainties around this. But I think then, so I think the the scary times on the economy, I can get that. Scary times on not knowing what's going to happen, I get all that. What is sort of unforgivable for me is the way that there's been an attempt at kind of stirring up that fear. And I I first of all would like to say that I think that it was an act of cowardice that Cameron 
uh, resigned at 8 o'clock in the morning. I think that he needed to act as a leader during that weekend. Um, I think that the, the, the what's happened since, I mean, the Cabinet meeting this morning, Osborne speaking this morning, and then now the parliamentary discussion, at least makes you feel as though possibly someone's in charge. But I do think that it's a great act of... They did not rise to the challenge, let's put it that way, the people who run this country, because if you lose a referendum... Um, you shouldn't behave like the Glastonbury youth who whinged that they'd had their future robbed from and skulked off in a strop. That shouldn't be what the Prime Minister does, even if he decides that he can't uh, last. On the on then the just on the racism point, because I'm particularly perturbed about this, I think that there is undoubtedly the case that because immigration is being discussed widely in the referendum and uh, some people have played the race card on the Brexit side I don't doubt that and um, that some of the kind of uh, low-life uh, racist uh, scum that inhabit Britain like they inhabit everywhere and I mean hardcore racists of which by the mean I mean a tiny 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 minority of racists who exist have got a little bit of cocky and have come out and started shouting things and it's unpleasant and it's and it's you know we should do everything we can to ensure that that doesn't take off or become a popular sentiment but I cannot bear how insulting it is to the millions of people who voted for Brexit and have some worries about immigration that the Remain camp imply that those people are interchangeable with racist scum. I mean, you know, that's the bit that is most insulting. And I really do think it means that the connection between many people and the vast millions of uh, people who live in this country, well-meaning, hard-working people who are not remotely verging on, on, on leading a racist pogrom, can be seen as kind of like, and described as things like pond life, knuckle-dragging, uh, xenophobes. And that's the kind of thing that's been said by academics in print. I mean, you couldn't make it up. Mm. But also what's really striking about the older voter thing, I think it's probably quite important to bear in mind, is that, of course, these are also people who remember um, life before the European Union. I mean, you know, these are generally voters who will have perhaps, you know, been around when, you know, the last time we had a referendum about joining you know, a kind of European trading area, where that was a kind of big kind of referendum and discussion, and generally thought the European trading area is fine. And then since then have seen that morphed into a giant political union, which adds, you know, which has these kind of pillars around freedom of movement, which has a massive impact around people's lives um, and jobs and actually wages. And that's something that we, you know, we do know that's not a, that's the, point of free movement of labour is to help you know make labour prices more competitive cheaper across the region um in which people are continually adding more member states to this all part of this european union and which they can see quite clearly you know has absolute contempt for you know them having a, a vote in this and you can see and they've had it has a vote contempt for that for everyone part, as part of this union that it does not like democracy they have seen repeated votes and, you know, during that period, they have lived through financial recessions and kind of economic shocks. Um, and in many cases, a lot of areas, um, such as ones that have voted most strongly out of seeing the economy uh, and their kind of communities decimated and haven't seen the European Union do a damn thing about it. Um, so I think it's 
quite telling that they feel like they can say, actually, maybe we might do something else other than that. It's actually the kind of generations of politicians, media, um, and a kind of younger generation who have never known anything other than the European Union who are treating this as if it is an unthinkable political disaster. Because to them, it is, for a lot of people, this was unthinkable. But actually, you know, people, there are realistic reasons for sort of saying, you know, actually things are better. The thing that made me most smile was that a lot of the Remain campaign suddenly started going, OK, I'm, I'm off out of this racist little island, you know, this, this poxy little island that's now doomed, full of stupid racists. And, you know, I'm going to go off and live somewhere else, which obviously partly kind of does reflect a sort of certain middle-class outlook of that, you know, if you don't like somewhere, you can just jet off some. And all of these lists going, oh, I'm going to move to, you know, these 10 countries, the best ones to live in. And kind of without a shred of irony, most of those lists, seven or eight of those countries, were not European Union countries, (laughs) um, which perhaps indicates that perhaps there is a way of organising your society and your economy not being based around the European Union. We are one of the world's largest economies. We have a kind of quite a robust system. Maybe there might be a possibility approach there. And people are sitting there saying, that's impossible. You are stupid, you are wrong, um, and above all else, you're going to die soon, so who cares? Um, that's an incredibly conservative reaction from people who don't think of themselves as conservatives, who would actually be horrified to be called conservatives. That is a profoundly conservative worldview. I read a very interesting piece by a couple of people I know who are working social policy, and it was basically about why older people voted Brexit. And the the way it's been discussed in the media lately is that there are poor, struggling young people who uh, have their futures ahead of them, which are entirely dependent on the European Union. And then there are wealthy, older people who have decided to uh, snatch that future away from them. The reality of older older workers' lives is that they have seen great increases in job insecurity, diminishing levels of job satisfaction. A lot of them have lost good jobs that they had some skills for and were relatively well paid for, and have ended up doing insecure, low-paid, you know, flexible-hour kind of jobs. And just when they were sort of like on the downhill slope to retirement and thinking about taking it easy, they're working harder and harder for less money. In that context, they are quite reasonably a bit annoyed and dissatisfied with the way that things have gone and with the with you know globalisation or the, the the way that which the European Union has been part of a, a changing economy that has greatly undermined their living standards, and they wanted to kick back against it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it's it is extraordinary how lacking in awareness some of the commentaries being that I, I think when you have a kind of one after another uh, the kind of representatives of young people who are complaining lining up saying things like well I wanted to do my postgrad in Romania and what will it mean to me and you think no disrespect but this kind of like and I mean you know or somebody said our campus is being developed with EU money you've deprived us of a new canteen and study area because we were getting this EU grant and and there's a bit, you know, you do want to think, you know, like, it's hard to caricature the me, me, me generation mm. in that level. But, you know, never mind kind of solidarity with young people in, in Southern Europe, you know, 50% unemployment in some countries. That's not got anything to do, you know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, I won't be able to study where I want. And I, I, I mention that because... Um, I think that, again, in terms of actually, if we do want to take a step back and if we do want, I want to encourage those young people who are undoubtedly upset to kind of bear in mind that, you know, it might be one thing to bear in mind is if you passionately believe in something like the European Union, you know, for future reference, broadly speaking, what you have to do is to win the argument for it. 
right? Because actually you didn't manage to get your peers out to either vote at all and a quarter of them didn't vote for it and the, and so on and so forth. So there's that. But the other thing that's happening is is that the way that that kind of older generation is stoking up young people's fears too. And I'm particularly concerned about uh, people, particularly on social media, but also in newspapers, saying things like, you know, some of my Polish pupils are really frightened that they're going to be forced to go home. You know, my overseas students are now concerned that they'll be, you know, driven out of the country by uh, a foreigner-hating uh, English people uh, with all these backward attitudes. You know, that's what you Brexit voters have brought on us. And, you know, I've been, for example, on Twitter saying, well, why don't you tell them? that they're not going to be driven out of their home, that this is a figment of fearful imagination, instead of actually using it as a point-scoring exercise with Brexit voters. Because even the most enthusiastic, say, of UKIP Brexit uh, supporters have never, ever discussed repatriation. There is no sense at all. These are, these are groundless fears being whipped up ironically, by people in the Remain camp. When people are frightened, instead of reassuring them and saying, no, no, that's a misunderstanding, don't worry at all. And also to say to young people who say, I won't be able to ever study abroad, oh, no, don't worry, that's not what's happening. (laughs) You'll be fine. But the reassuring thing is, every time you actually encounter anyone that's not on social media or in the uh, chattering classes, it's a slightly different atmosphere. Radio phone-ins, Question time audience. Question time audience yesterday for the special question time, you know, spoke common sense from both Remain and Brexit calmly while the panel kind of like went into meltdown. And go and talk to your neighbours. Jamie Bartlett made a really great point. Put Twitter down, go out and chat to the neighbours, which was what, in fact, I did. And you end up having this conversation, you think, oh, yes, World War Three hasn't broken out. People are not killing each other. Because I do think that there's a fetid and febrile imagination that could actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit and we have to just be responsible enough to kind of take the heat out of that uh, in some ways because we've got a very serious job on our hands people are going to try and steal this democratic victory i mean in the establishment that's what's going to happen and i think that we just have to say right this is an opportunity now whatever you think of it and and make the absolute best of uh, the the challenges ahead but don't let's underestimate how difficult that will be yeah and that's the thing because it's like you know it is quite a scary time but i mean you know the one thing i'll just say on that is that you know there are a complex range of reasons why people have voted leave 25 percent of green voters a third of bme um, uh, voters in the election a vast range of complexities it's like yes and it's like some people are have a problem with you know free movements within the eu which is a kind of particular type of political program but you know they've also understand very well that what's happened alongside that program has been a really vicious strong clamp down on any immigrant from the rest of the world and particularly for the commonwealth so actually for an awful lot of people it's quite easy to imagine quite quickly this will lead to a more liberal immigration system because actually you would imagine actually a lot of those controls might start to loosen if people don't you know don't no longer feel as if they have to try and win an argument about you know european migration it's a complicated question that you can't just simply turn around and um say that people are just responding in this reactionary way and actually what i think will make things dangerous if if people start to just think we can overturn this vote i think things could actually turn a bit nasty if that happens because that's what happens historically when you decide to just ask people to have their say in a society and then just 
want to ignore them or strip it away from them and overturn it. That's when things could start to get really nasty. And at the, at the moment, that is all the people who are making the arguments to say, even though we have voted to reject the European Union, we can still stay in it. You know, and obviously, you know, that, you know, there are a number of different processes that maybe it may be that we can go off and, uh, uh, and become, you know, the EEA members, the kind of Norway style model. I don't think that just like addresses all of the concerns that people have voted leave, but if the politicians win that argument with the people, then fine, they have legitimacy for that. It may be that they absolutely can't do that, in which case we have to think of another system. That's what a democratic debate should be. Obviously, there's a good argument to say we should have a new government, perhaps, to have a general election as soon as possible to establish what the legitimacy is for that negotiation. But it has to be a government that is committed to enacting the will of the popular vote. You, know, you, can, you can then elect a kind of government who says... The first thing we'll try to do is rejoin the European Union after we've left. Fine. If that's the way in which these people in this country vote, I wouldn't like it. I'd be a bit annoyed and frustrated about it, but I would also have to accept that as well. That's you know, the democratic part of what we have to do, and that is the only option we have in our future, I think, in any kind of progressive sense. I, th- I think we have to remember that now that we've had the vote, we didn't elect a vote-leave government. What we have now is a parliament that we did elect last year and it's it's now going to be until the next election for that parliament to decide what happens and whatever policies we adopt should be uh, reflect the majority of the population regardless of whether they voted remain or leave so if, if there is a majority for free movement with Europe or for some other kind of system then that's the way that we should go we, we shouldn't assume that we have to have a clampdown on immigration just because that was part of the vote leave cell as it were so all of these things are now up for grabs and that's the great thing about this result is that all of these things are up for grabs if we, if we allow this res- result to be overturned, I think we'll be an absolute disaster. So one of the things that we're doing is we're having an event on Wednesday. So that's two days from t- today when we're recording this. Uh, Wednesday, the 29th of June at 7 o'clock in central London, where we're go- it's, which is entitled uh, Brexit, the fight for democracy starts here. Because it really feels like that actually, rather than the whole sort of discussion ending with the vote, actually it's really kicked off since the vote. And we uh, we have to uh, defend the right of this uh, the, the electorate to be respected in the decision that they've come to. So that, that certainly will be a very uh, lively meeting, I'm sure, and it's a, re- a genuine struggle that's going to have to go on over the next little while. Any final thoughts about what next? I mean, what would you choose to be next? I mean, let's start that debate. I mean, how should it look? The one thing that I think your point about Parliament's very well made, Rob, because I've just turned down a... a a TV debate that was trying to say to me are you on the side of enacting section 15 now and it has to be now or would you prefer to make it wait and I said um, I can see both sides of that argument and I think it's almost irresponsible of the media to try and force people into corners on a stupid discussion because I do think at some point there are people who can sort of make decisions the only point I made was is that if any attempt at not enacting it because it's trying to evade the democratic will of the people in relation to the referendum then obviously that's different but you know there are tactical things that I think that I won't be in a best place to advise on nobody's going to ask me either 
However, I do think what we do need to do is to capture the spirit, which I actually think existed for three or four weeks before the referendum, despite uh, some disruption in, in relation to, as I say, the murder of Joe Cox, that are people kind of, you know, walking around uh, the streets, uh, going to Tesco's, shopping, saying, what are you doing? What are you, who are you voting for? What do you think? I'm not quite sure what I think. Uh, what do you think will happen to the economy? What do you think will happen to... It was like, oh, great. Everyone's talking politics, right? As uh, has been indicated, now that the vote has happened, people are carrying on talking politics because it isn't just that kind of, oh, it's remain, it's status quo. It's like, oh, my God, everything's up in the air. So what I do think is, is that we should try and capture the moment of political culture and insight where people really, really, really want to seriously talk about things. And we should be there to facilitate and find as many ways as possible as the Institute of Ideas to do just that. I will, in fact, be arguing for a a, a liberal uh, immigration policy, for example. But I know I've got a hard job trying to win that argument, but not because I think my fellow citizens are racist, but because actually that argument has been evaded and avoided because we were in the EU. But we're not now. Or we're about not to be. So that's good. I've got the chance to try and have a political argument instead of a bureaucratic, you've got no choice one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of, I suppose it sounds a little bit cliched as a thing to want, but it's a hope that there'll be a little bit more honesty and openness in political debates from this point, actually. Because, you know, one of the biggest problems around um, the European Union debate, and, you know, this is kind of acknowledged on both sides, is that for a long time it has been a great vehicle for domestic politicians going, we don't like this policy that we have to enact, we hate it as much as you, but over there in Brussels you know, are making us do it. And then you speak to people in Brussels, and they're like, what are they talking about? They're, they voted for this thing, yeah. and they're most passionate about it. Um, for a long time it has led to uh, a kind of real kind of comfort blanket effect, to the extent of which it's actually quite hard to know what is the effect of leaving is actually no one really that's what's sort of striking about this whole thing nobody actually knows what the effect of leaving the European Union is in terms of how that impacts upon our our own economy how it impacts on Europe that's why they've kind of left open two years worth of negotiations for when you want to leave because it's actually kind of quite a complicated process to try and understand that so it's very difficult for me to come up with a stress and say oh we want to do this because you'll get bogged down in endless debates about whether you know whether that's allowed over a certain trade treaty or not at the moment this is an opportunity to think fresh and you know famously what's happened now is that you know people are sort of saying well the vote leave you know team has no plan there's no kind of grand vision it's like well no they just they were in it was a referendum on whether we should leave the government came out and said in advance we will not work on an exit strategy until we have the will of the people we will not even think about the possibility of us leaving until that happens. We've left now and suddenly there's no plan. Actually, that's the fault of the government. That's the fault of Cameron and Osborne and all of the people who are sat in cabinets at the moment who have refused to use the resources of the civil service to do anything else other than lobby for remaining in the referendum. The government has lost this referendum. That's the main thing. The remain lost a huge amount of authority yeah. in the process. Um, so I think what's hopefully what's exciting now and what I would want to encourage people to do is to accept... Brexit is happening and let's have a very honest discussion about what those impacts will be. Let's have an honest discussion about some of the possibilities of what we uh, may have to do. Let's have an honest discussion about some of the pain that will be involved in it. But actually let's you know let's actually talk about this now in terms of what we will want to do in the next 5 years or the next 10 years. The kind of society that we want to um, do. Are we still going to spend money on science or is that going to be something that we're not going to fund anymore you know is it all of these things that currently exist through eu subsidies what are we going to replace what are we going to to keep 
you know, what are the kind of new industries, what are the things we might be able to do outside of Europe that we haven't presently been able to do. There are a lot of discussions around that and a lot of theories and competing arguments that I've known over a number of different years. I think it would be good if, you know, the public are part of that conversation. Although I do want to not start a scare panic on science because one of the things that's been most galling is all these scientists saying, we've left the EU, British science is dead. And I, I, I'd like to point out mm. that science internationally is thriving in countries that have got nothing to do with the EU mm. and I really do hope that British scientists will rise to the challenge of looking out to the world and not sulk because they're not getting the odd EU grant <laughs> yeah I think I, I think yes there's basic principles that we all uh, agree with in terms of you know a liberal approach to uh, immigration you know trying to encourage a bit of economic growth would be nice and you know supporting things like science i think we all agree that's probably quite a good thing whether that happens through the state or through uh, encouraging the private sector to do it or whatever you know i think you know we're all, we're all pro that as well i think one thing that could could be done qu- quite quickly there's a few things that could be done quite quickly one of which is to to come out and just make a very clear statement saying you know, if you've moved here from the EU because you had the right to move here, we're not going to kick you out. But just be really straightforward. I'm sure that Parliament could manage that, and that would that would calm a lot of people's fears. Admittedly, fears falsely stoked up, but let's just have a really blunt official statement about it so that we can move on from that. And yes, we absolutely need to keep on discussing it. So I'll mention again Wednesday night um, for the for the discussion on the fight for democracy. But this will carry on in our podcasts. We'll have more events. And of course, this will be a dominant theme at this year's Battle of Ideas on the 22nd and 23rd of October at the Barbican. But I think that's plenty for now to, to get you uh, thinking. If you would like to hear more of our podcasts or subscribe to them, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast. If you want to find out about the events, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash events. Thank you very much for listening.